Welcome back to Emmaism, a philosophy podcast for students of philosophy, because that really is what we all are, seekers of knowledge. Happy Thursday, guys. Um, it's time to philosophize. Um, took a little break last week for my astronomy midterm. Uh, the planets were calling me, but oh yeah, so I'm excited to get be back. Um, before I get into the discussion today, I want to put out there three important things to remember for this episode. Um, people have certain feelings associated with different schools of thought, and those feelings are valid. Certain experiences lead us to believe different things, and that is totally okay. We can disagree. It's fine to disagree. I also want to say that I'm evaluating certain schools of thought using philosophical analysis from a purely academic perspective. So here's three things to remember in listening today. One, I'm analyzing and discussing this subject with only the best intent and for the pursuit of truth, because why else, you know? Um, Two, that the pursuit of truth is not seriously jeopardized by the defending of various ideas, even those you might not agree with. And three, we're all human beings and lack the eternal perspective that only the divine possess. I know it's hard to accept these premises, but they're needed in order to take in all of the proposed views have to offer, you know? We can't always be bound to ideologies and there has to be some sort of diamondism. Um, So yeah, okay, what's that big topic that warrants such an extensive intro? (laughs) Well, it's capitalism and socialism. Um, I'm a firm believer in looking at all sides of an argument because it is an important part of being a human. Um, it's, it's to question and critically think about principles that you take or others take to be true. That's the biggest thing here. I really like to hone in on why it is crucial to be a free and critical thinker. I arrived um, where I am in my religious, political, and economic thought after serious reevaluation of the principles that I've taken for granted when examining general concepts and belief systems first time around, you know? Um, but I'll also t- put out my biases for today. I am a strong advocate for free markets and capitalism. That's what I've personally concluded to be the most efficient system for a nation or group of people and agreement you know but yeah so what's the formal go over of this you know what what am I going to be talking about I'll be talking about like capitalism and socialism and how different views of rationality can be used to go over them and determine a good foundation for fairness and equality in society so um I First, we got to start out with definitions. I got to give Miriam Webster some cred now. Um, so, their definition for capitalism is where a nation's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit rather than by the state. And then the definition of socialism follows as a way of social organization that advocates for the means of production, distribution, and exchange to be owned and regulated by the whole community. So, in a nutshell, capitalism, private ownership, socialism, community ownership, well, community redistribution. Socialism is like, a, it's redistributive in nature. Um, so for capitalism, the production of goods and services are dependent on the demands for such good. Um, this system is designed this way because it empowers creators to create new and novel services and goods and encourages consumers to seek out the best options. Because the foundation of the system itself is based on premises that wealth motivates people generally, um, it's a system that involves certain wealth inequalities. The thing is here, um, 
inequalities can be justified for societies. Um, sometimes they're necessary, and I, I'd argue that throughout this podcast now. And hear me out. The, the presence of inequality does not mean that there is not ample opportunity for people to get to a position where they can acquire higher goods. Not at all. Um, another justification is that sometimes inequalities are to people's advantages, um, generally. I'll get to this later after like a brief overview of socialism, but these, I believe, are sufficient justifications for inequality. Um, people tend to not like capitalism because of this, though because they just don't think that it offers enough opportunities for everyone to get the certain goods and services that everyone generally requires to reach their ends. I don't know. That's, that's just why a lot of people opt into being supporters of socialism. Socialism is centrally controlled and redistributive in practice. Um, socialism attempts to reduce inequalities between parties because there is not really privatized industry guys to privately distribute goods and services. People often think that this leads to greater equality and distribution and uh, opportunities for citizens. They're totally wrong. I'm just kidding. Um, it really depends on that. That's a joke. I'm, I'm really kidding. It, re- it depends on what preferences you take is true, what view of rationality you hold, and what you believe would be the foundation for a fair and just society. So hear me out on this. Um, so In determining where we might fall on the spectrum of capitalism to socialism, I'm going to introduce you guys to a famous philosopher, John Rawls. We just covered him in my social contract class, and I just thought this was a perfect thing to connect to. Um, My guy Rawls is a political philosopher, and his work is like an incredible foundation for why political philosophy is seen as way more than just a deeper field. um, Or it's, it's seen as way more and a deeper field than just plain utility functions for utility maximization rationality that's kind of what i talked about two weeks ago with um maximization but yeah we're we're instead of that we're going to talk about rawl's justification for the welfare state and how i think his justification for the welfare state is actually more applicable to free market capitalist states um in that i'll reject i'll i'll reject kind of like amend one of rawl's premises um but let's get into it. Um, Rawls introduces this thing called a maximin. What is that? It's a maximin. Um, it's a principle of rational choice that holds that we must maximize the least well off, and that maximization of the minimum is the rational thing to do. Otherwise, if it weren't maximized, then it wouldn't be rational action to take. Um, but the problem with maximin. Um, and that whole idea of that is that it's extremely risk averse. Um, it attempts to make equality of being a more important factor than individuals maximize utilities, you know, each one of us, like our individual thing. Um, this I think is one of the problems with, um, justifying socialism, socialist policies aim for the quality of the whole collective, especially in redistributive terms, or just distributive terms. They forget that the collective is made up of, of individuals and that individuals have free will, choice, and the capacity for action. Perhaps if they would amend their principle to include some caveat that would emphasize the importance of the individual, then I, I would accept it or 
choose to consider it a little bit deeper, but distribution sounds intriguing. But as so far as you don't justify the benefit to the individual for resigning to the collective, then you won't get much support. I don't know, people are very self-interested, and if you tell them that they're suffering so that the rest of society will prosper, that's not going to fly. Um, that's why it doesn't work. Uh, equality of being doesn't mean that everyone's expected utility is maximized. No sane person would willingly allow themselves to be oppressed. And we could say that the act of imposing a socialist system that forces equality of a collective upon individuals, where the individual is not maximizing their expected utility, would be oppression. Um, okay, <laughs> so we have the maximum principle and described its implications for the socialist state. Now, for the capitalist state, the maximum principle can indeed serve as a justification. For instance, introducing inequality often raises the standards for others. This works out not only in the theoretical framework of the concept, but also in real-life economic practice. Let's take a thought experiment for a little bit. Um, an entrepreneur, for instance. Entrepreneurs have a certain idea and the means to create the product resulting from the idea. The span of the product and the business requires people to be employed and consumers who are willing to buy the product. The product, while making the entrepreneur very wealthy, raises the quality of life for its employees who would, in absence of this opportunity, have been in a lesser position to attain their ends. It'll also, um, or it has the potential to raise the quality of life for its consumers. Consumers are willing to pay for goods that will help them in achieving their ends. So while maybe from a pure money or wealth standpoint, there is great inequality between entrepreneur, employees, and consumers, everyone is actually better off than before inequality was introduced in the virtue of this capitalist system. Um, that example is literally like the basis for patent law in the U.S. Um, we like novel things and we want to motivate creators to create novel things because they will benefit and develop society. This way, it'll raise the quality of life of each individual while creating potential for each individual to be able to achieve greater utility Yet, it has that quality of inequality driving a, a collective lift up. So, capitalism employs a different horn, I guess, of minimax principle because it is not really risk-averse at all, but it still raises the quality for the least well-off. Um, so, Rawls has another principle to justify the welfare state. It's called the second principle. Um, not quite as creative as the Minimax name, but I'll give it to him. The second principle has two requirements that justify social and economic inequalities. The inequalities must be arranged in a way that they're reasonably expected to each individual's advantage and that they're attached to positions of, and offices that are open to all. Those quotes are straight out of uh, Rawls' theory of justice if you wanted to uh, look more into this, but yeah. Um, so I think that the second principle is a better fit to capitalism than socialism anyways, but that's just because of maybe my analysis of the actual inputs of socialism, not the theoretical hold it has. But look at pure theory. It could sure fit, because I mean, at baseline, Rawls' theory is to justify the welfare state. That was his whole point of doing this whole thing. Um, socialism could be reasonably expected to be to everyone's advantage, because goods that are being distributed to each person um, do help them achieve their ends, more so than if they had never entered a society to begin with. But um, making this case, and to make a case out of socialism to 
um, being to everyone's advantage, you can see a kind of a key problem if we're really just driving it down to this one point, like more so if they had never entered a society to begin with. I think you have to take it back to pre-society in the state of nature. Like in the state of nature, you choose to make an agreement with others to live in a society because you'll simply be better off cooperating with others than if you were just constantly in a state of war. You know, since the state of nature is war of all, we all. So really, you could, if you are turning to justify socialism from a foundation of the state of nature because really any form of cooperation is better than wartime, you'd endure an absence of cooperation, that's a really low bar of justification. So I don't know if I'd really stick with that. Um... But the, the second theory, second part about having the positions open to all also implies interesting consequences for socialists. How do we determine the people distributing the goods? How do you get to that position? Um, socialism is often a progression to communism where there's even more striking gap between those who benefit the most and those who benefit the least. How do you justify the foundation for that certain progression? If the second principle holds um, that there's formal equality of opportunity and formal equality of like, or like fair equality of opportunity, so fair and formal equality of opportunity are held in the second principle, how do you do that? Perhaps socialism can provide that um, you know, formal and fair equality of opportunity, but there has to be some sort of formal and commonly occurring voting process that puts the distributors in power, and those aren't really present in socialist economies. Um, that's what they struggle with most, in fact. Um, that, that issue needs to be resolved in defending socialism with this view of fairness and equality. The welfare state does do a good job, though, of providing um, goods and services for people so that even the least well-off in society could be offered somewhat of a chance to occupy a position that would lead them closer to attaining their ends, though, in theory. Um, but yeah, so in theory, it does. That's a justification for the welfare state. Um, I think that capitalism, though, also fits well with the second principle, and arguably it fits better than the welfare state. Capitalism is expected to be to everyone's advantage. In being a motivator machine, capitalism encourages people to innovate, and the innovations of others raise the quality of life of the whole. Yeah, there's a gap between the most well-off and the least well-off, and I don't, I don't think that gap's problematic, no matter the size of the gap. The gap between the most and least well-off is only concerning if it doesn't make the least well-off better off than any alternative. And... I argue that capitalism makes the least well-off members of society better off than any alternative because of the possibilities that capitalist structures offer individuals. It is the most effective market for the least well-off because there is room to develop by oneself. You're not limited by constraints as you would be with socialism. With socialism, there would only be enough of X given to you no matter what, even if you need more of X to achieve your end. Whereas if you were in capitalist systems, you could choose to private owners for more of X and successfully achieve your end. Okay, uh, last thing, and this is the easiest of Rawls's principles to wrap your head around. Um, it's Rawls's first principle. Kind of funny that it's my last thing to mention, but the first principle for Rawls, uh, and it's also kind of deemed the most important principle for Rawls, but, you know, 
we'll see. Um, The first principle holds that every person has an equal right to basic liberties like freedom of speech, freedom of conscience, right to own property, and freedom of movement. Really, like, any freedom in the Bill of Rights you can, like, think of. Um, But this is the most obvious case for a free market capitalist society. Freedoms are present left and right, you know? I'm not going to be libertarian out here. Maybe I am. But like, you know, freedoms are not hard to find in capitalist societies. There's a lot you can do. Um, With socialism, there's not as many liberties afforded to individuals in virtue of it being a state-sponsored means of distribution. That's because there are certain limits to what individuals can pursue since the goods are meant to be used to pursue each individual's ends and are distributed by the state. Why would the individual look elsewhere for more goods to maximize their utility when a socialist system is there to maximize the collective utility, you know? Um, Socialist systems are not focused or even concerned with individuals' own utilities, and they place constraints on growth in that department. Their focus is equality, and equality does not necessarily mean maximized utility for individuals. And maximized utility for individuals can easily you know, be identified with liberties afforded to individuals. So just to uh, sum it all up, Rawls' theory that was developed as a justification for the welfare state can be used to justify a capitalist state even more clearly. Capitalist states offer a more individualistic approach to cooperation as a whole and offers good answers for principles of equality of opportunity and fairness. Socialism, on the other hand, has been identified to have problems answering questions about its practical application in the fairness and equality realm. Overall, I've established that capitalism would be the best state to ensure a foundation that would promote fairness, development, and justice. All right, that's all I have for today's as a podcast. (laughs) Kind of a lot in one thing, but I hope you all enjoyed And we'll be back next time for a new exploration. Until then, keep searching for the truth.